Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to the Profoundly Pointless Christmas Special. And the purpose of memory is not to record our lives. It's not to, it's not even for us to reminisce, really. It's really to give us an understanding of what's going on. And then once you let go, you got to be ready to handle whatever happens. So if the wind's not right, you know, you trust your coach with your life. Pretty much is how it works. So, so a lot of times what I'll see is men who say, I've done everything for this person and I've gotten nothing in return. In fact, she hates me (laughs) and she's disrespectful. And so they're very confused. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe, leave us a rating or review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. This has become an annual tradition for us where we take a look back and release some bonus content from some of our most interesting and most popular guests. Our first guest is Dr. Colleen Parks. She's a memory researcher who specializes in analyzing how our memory works, why we remember, and why we forget. So how does memory actually work? So it's not like a video. Um, we're not recording things constantly. It's not like a filing cabinet. You can't go back in and just pick up the same file. What's really happening is you are reconstructing things from bits and pieces that you have in the present. So you might have somebody ask you, having somebody ask you a question, um, and that serves as a cue to your own memory. Whether that will be successful or not depends a lot on how good the cue is. But I think, I think the takeaway is when I say memory is reconstructive, what I mean is it's kind of like you're getting these bits and pieces back, but it's not going to be perfect. Um, so you're going to make little mistakes that most of the time don't matter at all. And sometimes you make a bigger mistake that does matter. Um, But that is, it's okay. It works most of the time. And the purpose of memory is not to record our lives. It's not to, it's not even for us to reminisce, really, um, or to think back specifically. It's really to give us an understanding of what's going on and help us, um, you know, expect what might come next. 
Is there something then that's physically happening in the brain? Like if I could peer into it, I could see this happening when memories are formed. Yes, there is. So there is a structure called the hippocampus. It's kind of buried in the brain. It's underneath um, some cortical layers. Um, that structure is really important for remembering previous episodes of something or a previous event. So what happens is neurons fire in, in that particular structure, and it kind of connects all of these different pieces together. So if you are remembering a visual component of something, this one structure, the hippocampus, is going to talk to the you know visual processing areas in the brain. It can then connect up all of these kind of different sensory components of the memory and in conjunction with some other some other areas like that is how you remember is you've got this kind of indexing system right and that's kind of what the hippocampus is doing is our memory good or bad i think it comes down to what we call the gist of something versus the details at a gist level like just knowing what happened you probably have it down really well. When it comes to remembering really specific details about something, there's a good chance you have a lot of those incorrect. Are there different ways we can improve memory? You can practice the kind of memory that you want to improve. So if you want to improve something like muscle memory, then you practice the skill that you're trying to, to, trying to get. Um, if you're trying to better remember like if you forget your grocery list and now you're in the store and you want to remember what you needed, that's something you would probably have to practice specifically, right? So you would train yourself, train yourself on a list of items and then wait some period of time and go back and see if you can remember the, that list of items. What's interesting about training though, is that it doesn't seem to transfer very far to other types of memory. Like you get better at one kind of memory that you really practice, but you don't necessarily get better at everything. When, when we talk about Alzheimer's, dementia, amnesia, places where memory fails, what's, what's happening there? Usually. Um, it's not that they can't remember their past at all. It's that they have trouble making new memories. So it's because we can't form a new memory we don't have access to the old memories. It's like breaking the link in the chain. Um, there is going to be some loss of memory from the past, but in general, those the older memories are actually more protected than the newer memories. So the newer memories are, you know, the, the older memories are there because they're, it's kind of like survival of the fittest. Right. So you can get back to the older ones more easily than the newer ones because the newer ones are decaying or declining over time. And they're declining much more quickly than the older ones are. Are suppressed memories a real thing? No. <laughs> no, they are not. Um, has it ever happened in the history of humanity? Maybe. But the vast majority of them are some sort of false memory. 
And it's not that the people who are experiencing this are lying in any way. I believe they have this real experience of memory, but that is a subjective experience. That doesn't mean it's accurate, right? And there's a lot of different ways that this can happen. Um, some people just fall prey to suggestion. Um, there have been a lot of cases of false memories, um, you know, so-called recovered in therapy sessions. And I would say those we trust the least. Um, there are also people who report kind of spontaneously remembering things. However, is it truly a recovered memory? Not necessarily. So there's this anecdote about a woman who was sexually assaulted and she recovered the memory and told her boyfriend. It was like, oh my God, this horrible thing happened to me. Her boyfriend said, no, you told me about that five years ago. So yes, it happened, but you it's not a recovered memory. You've already remembered it. So our ability to remember something like that I told you something already, that declines too. So I heard this and I wanted to ask you if this is true. I had heard that if you look at a picture, you then remember the picture and not the actual event. I think there's some evidence for that. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's probably a little bit easier to remember the picture because it's like this nice encapsulated scene. So yeah, there's also, I mean, there's evidence that it, it can not overwrite, but interfere with the original memory a little bit. So if the picture is more recent, maybe that's just, you know, maybe you're remembering that better because it's easier to get to. It was more recent. So I've had that experience, actually. So I thought that I remembered something at an improbably young age, but I didn't. It was that I had seen pictures of that event, right? And that's probably what happens to a lot of people who say, oh, I remember this from when I was two. Like, no, <laughs> that's pretty unlikely. <laughs> so our next guest competed in the 2022 Beijing Olympics in ski jumping. This is ski jumper Casey Larson. And if there's one thing about ski jumping, there is no try. So can you back off of one? You really can't, right? So you're in these, you, when you let go of the, the bar, right? When you hop on the ski jump and get, and get ready to go, if you let go of the bar and you, you get in your interim position, you're going off that ski jump, whether you like it or not. So like I said, like if your clips out, if you're, if you're, if you didn't put your binding in, if, you, if you're, if you're not set, you're, you're in some trouble. So, you know, you just have the ritual that you trust that you that you can never second guess, right? You check your bindings, you check your equipment, you check your goggles, you get on the bar, you might do it again. And then once you let go, you got to be ready to handle whatever happens. So if the wind's not right, you know, you trust your coach with your life pretty much is how it works. So uh, if, if your coach flags you, you know that everything's safe. Everything's going to be totally fine. I just got to do my job. What makes one jump better than the other? Is it speed, timing? I always, you know, timing is probably the biggest one. Just like that takeoff, the minute, like bringing your chest up a little bit or just not getting all the power down, whether that be in your shin, like like just not being in the correct position, um, not putting 100% of the power that you possibly can put down, down uh, and getting into that aerodynamic position, uh, you're going to be, you're just screwed right off the bat. So, it, you know, you really can't bring your chest up at all. You really got to just stay 
low and then just use your legs and go. Uh, you know, you're trying to, you know, extend and pull away from the hill and just kind of, you know, glide on that cushion of air that you've created for yourself. Is there a certain body position that you're trying to get into once you're in the air? When you're driving down the highway later today or, you know, if, if you're in your car, pop, pop the window open and stick your hand out. And you'll notice, like, if you have it down here, it's going to dive straight into the ground. If you bring it up here, your hand's going to go back to the back of the window. But then you're going to find this little happy medium where your hand just wants to go straight up. And that's the body position we're trying to find. With our skis and our body, we're just trying to be not too far aerodynamic, but not also not too far back. Just something where that wind will just bring us right up. That's, that's the best analogy. Like, you know, everybody can do that in the car. Everybody has done that in the car. Do you drift or do you just fly straight ahead? Well, your body's never symmetric. So, um, you know, no matter how hard you try, you know, one, one, one shoulder is going to be a little bit stronger than the other, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. So you always, um, you, you, but you also naturally want to go straight. So, so you find these ways to correct. So my, my skis are never symmetrical, but I go straight, if that makes sense. But obviously wind, whatever conditions, whatever it may be, you end up having some jumps where you go to one side more or less. But those hills are massive, allow for like a pretty big amount of play. Uh, so you're never too worried about like, you know, landing on the other, you know, landing in the grass or landing, you know, off the hill. But, uh, but yeah, you, you learn how to deal with it and you end up, if you do it enough times, you're not going to get too scared by it. So you end up knowing, just knowing how to deal with it, I guess. How far will you drift? Is it, is it always the same direction? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely athletes that are known for it. Um, and we say the wind's, the wind's better on the right side of the hill, so you, you go to the right side of the hill. That's not true, but you see some athletes just do it. Um, and they're totally fine. And then they, they have a play of like, you know, 10, 15 meters. So those hills are really big at the landing hill. Uh, so you, they're allowed to do it, and they're totally fine. They end up being, you know, they're nothing, you know, changes. But at the end of the day, I, I always think like, well, that's just extra meters. I could be flying straight, but I'm not flying to the right, you know? So I just think like the straighter the better, but uh, – Obviously, there's there's athletes out there that, that break those rules and, and end up you know winning competitions doing it. This looks crazy on TV, but is it different in person? You'd be more impressed in person, honestly. I think I think uh, TV does it some justice, but not enough justice. How far are most people going? Yeah, what would be 250 meters through the air? Um, that's a quarter of a kilometer, but, uh, so it's a little bit less than a quarter of a mile, but it's down, it's darn far. You're flying from, you see, so take off through one goalpost and then you go through two more goalposts and then you land at the 50 yard line, right? So obviously you're flying through the air, but have you ever hit anything? Oh man. Well, sometimes you hit bugs and that's always a fun one. Like if you get a little like bee splattered on your goggle, you'd freak out a little bit. But I will say, when I was a little kid, I do remember letting go of the bar on a smaller hill. So I was totally okay. But I remember being like, I didn't put my bindings in. And the way the ski jumping boot works is you kind of slam this little this little piece of uh, plastic into the back of the boot that allows your, your heel to come off the ski a little bit. And I was like, I didn't put that in. So I remember jumping into the air and just one ski went, whew. And it was it was the most scared I've ever been in my life. It was it was wild. I felt like I was I was okay, thankfully. You know, you get learn you learn how to fall at a young age. You uh, definitely make enough mistakes where you can fall safely. Basically, just keep your knees straight in the air, and you're going to be totally fine. Your body's going to stay relatively straight. But I was I was freaking out. <laughs> so our next guest is a controversial one, and whether you agree with this 
or completely disagree, there are a lot of people out there that feel this way. This is the headmistress of nice guy reform school, Ashley Cox. So what's wrong with being a nice guy? There's nothing wrong with nice guys if they're happy. (laughs) That's true. That's true. There are a lot of nice guys that are very, very unhappy because they're being nice so as to get a different need met. Like um, they're being nice so someone likes them or they're being nice so they're validated or accepted or respected or so they can get what they want. And they don't realize that they're inherently powerful and lovable just as they are without having to perform or provide value to be loved. So when someone enrolls in the nice guy reform school, what are you doing? So I'm helping men who have essentially given their power away to their relationship, their partner. Uh, It could be a business partner. It could be an intimate partner, their wife, really anything outside of themselves. And they feel kind of drowned, like they feel like they're drowning in it. Right. They, they're doing everything they can do. They're not taking any time for themselves and they're not getting their, meet, their needs met in return. They're not being appreciated. They're not being valued. In fact, they're usually being usually getting disrespected, undervalued, underappreciated, taken advantage of. So I'm helping them understand the difference between being in their power and loving themselves and how to get their needs met that way versus getting their needs met by putting their power into something or in something and their energy into something outside of themselves so as to, you know, hope hope they get a return back and usually they don't. Are you talking about people who are nice by their nature or are we talking about people who have become nice because they think that's what society wants and they think that's how they can get what they want? When I say nice guy, it's in quotes because I'm talking about essentially a fawn trauma response. So there's four trauma responses, fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. And the fawn trauma response is referring to a people-pleasing habit. So it's essentially a fawn trauma response. It's a form of codependency. And I think there's a difference between being kind and being nice. So sometimes the kindest thing I can do is be honest with you. Right? Being nice is essentially being overly concerned with how you view me or how I'm impacting you to the point where I abandon myself if I'm doing it to receive validation, attention, love, approval, respect from you. When you say that someone is being overly nice, what does that look like in their lives? So it looks like taking better care of other people than you do yourself. So it looks like um, maybe you're spending a bunch of money on your wife or your partner and almost no money on yourself, Um, you could buy something nice for yourself. So a lot of times what I'll see is men who say, I've done everything for this person and I've gotten nothing in return. In fact, she hates me (laughs) and she's disrespectful. And so they're very confused around um, and as to why they're doing all of these things for this person or this woman. Um, And like I said, it could be a business partner too. It could be a company and they are not seeing the ROI that they thought they were going to see. Um, And also they're exhausted at the end of the day and they gain weight, they become depressed, they become bitter. It it goes, it's it's deep. It's very, very deep in someone's system uh, when they've been living like this for a long time. Are you seeing more men like this? I think it started with, this is just a theory. I don't have the research to back this up. I don't know if there is any, but I think it started Um, Really, when the feminist movement started, there have been three waves of feminism. And I would say it probably started with the second second wave. 
um, and it's just gotten worse with the third wave. I don't think there's anything wrong with the feminist movement. In fact, you know, when I was a kid, I had like a Rosie the Riveter poster in my room. I was, you know, very independent. I grew up in a household of, of all women. Um, but I think what it's done is, one, the patriarchy kind of taught men um, that they had to protect, they had to provide, sometimes even give their life. And they weren't allowed to cry about it. They weren't allowed to have feelings about it. So we're, we expected them to be robots, and I think that's where a lot of men got their definition of what it meant to be a man as a societal programming of if you protect, if you provide, um, if you give your life, if you sacrifice, if you're a martyr then, and, and you don't cry about it and you suck it up, then that means that that's what makes you a man. But that's not really what women want or need. We want men to be in their power. We want men to be leaders. We want men to be decisive. We want men to show up for us. And it doesn't make that make masculinity doesn't mean that it's bad right what's bad is when a man is insecure um when he's reactive when he's um angry to me that's kind of a lack of masculinity what what women want is that we want the man there we want him to show up we want him to be in his power um we want him to feel good we want him to to be able to protect us and it doesn't mean that it's bad I do think that there is some confusion amongst men about, well, what am I supposed to be now? Am I supposed to be this tough, take-charge person, or am I supposed to be sympathetic, empathetic, and in touch with my emotions? A hundred percent. That's why I do what I do. I like to call it the third way, where you kind of where you blend the two, right? Um, where you're not a pushover, you're in, in control, you're in charge of your life, and you have an open heart, you're emotionally healthy. You can process emotions in real time. You can hold space for her emotions. It doesn't mean you have to hook into them or emote with her. But when a man can't hold his own emotions, which we haven't really taught men or boys how to do. In fact, we've made it wrong for them to have emotions. And so when we increase a man's bandwidth to process and hold space for their own emotions, they can then be more present with a woman as she has her emotional experiences. They can be kind of like a tree, like rooted, grounded, present. But a man who can't hold the space for his own emotions will react poorly to a woman who's emoting. And he and he'll struggle to set boundaries with her. So it's one thing for her to have her emotional experience. It's another thing for um, her to have poor behavior. And so what we want, right, because she's angry or something, right? So what we want is a woman who feels safe enough with a present powerful man to emote and tell him how she feels and what she wants without blaming him, shaming him, or abusing him. And so if the man can stay present and grounded, kind of that bad boy confident energy, right? If he can stay there and in it with her and present, but not hook in, not react, and set healthy boundaries around her behavior... Right? Again, that's the bad boy energy, but caring, which is the nice guy energy, right? So I'm here, I'm present, I'm not afraid, I'm confident, and I care. But what you're not going to do is attack me, blame me, shame me, abuse me, because you're hurting. I can see this both ways. I can see people being right on. You're exactly right. And I can also see people saying, what are you talking about? I get that a lot. And and my own partner said the same thing. We had a little a little debate about it. 
there's nothing wrong with being nice. When I say quote unquote nice guy, I'm talking about like, again, the fawn trauma response. I'm talking about codependency. I'm talking about taking better care of other people than you do yourself. And we've made that socially acceptable for men. And so it can be confusing because it's like, well, I've been told to be nice. I've been told not to be an asshole. I've been told to, you know, open doors for women. There's nothing wrong with that, right? It's about the intention. Why are you doing it? Are you doing it because someone told you to do it and because you think it's going to make you a good guy and make people like you? Or are you doing it because you're already in your power, you can set boundaries if you want to, and you're actively choosing to show up and serve and protect and provide because that's who you want to be. And it doesn't matter to you whether or not someone validates you or approves you or even thanks you for doing what you're doing. This is just who you are as a person. And I think it's important to look at those intentions, right? Why do we do anything? Why do we do anything? And if if the answer is external approval at all, then you get to shift that and, and essentially bring your power back inward and only do things and only do that which you absolutely want to do, not because it's going to gain you approval or acceptance from someone else. And you need that approval or acceptance because you're not even giving it to yourself. So you're you're outsourcing it essentially, which is not what we want to do. We're going to switch from society to science. And our next guest studies something that has this incredible and profound impact on everything around us, but you might not even know it's there. And not only is it having an impact now, but it could play a huge role in combating climate change. This is fungi researcher, Dr. Gordon Walker. Why are fungi important? Fungi are incredibly important, and they're at everywhere on our planet, every interface of life. And it's something that people don't think about because they're generally microscopic. You often can't see them. And even if they're not microscopic, if it's mycelium, it's hidden down in soil and inside of wood. So they're cryptic. They're absolutely everywhere. They're omnipresent. You have fungi on every surface of everything in your house. And yet you don't see them and you don't notice them until they create the fruiting bodies. They're reproductive structures generally. So that's the little molds you would see on food or some mushrooms you'd see out in your lawn. Or maybe it's like, you know, some other weird growth you'd see somewhere and be like, what is that? And yet fungi are all around us constantly. And we have really no idea what they're doing, at least from like a layperson point of view. Um, in essence, what fungi do and why they are so important is they're specialists at recycling carbon. So in our ecosystems, there's a lot of leftover plant matter, especially. And if that would build up, you would just have like huge deposits of compacted plant matter that would never really turn into soil. And so fungi have evolved a suite of really powerful enzymes to help break down um, complex polysaccharide linkages and carbon into smaller units, which then uh, other microbes can go ahead and eat. So they are sort of a keystone species in the first step towards creating soils. And that's part of why they're so important, especially in terrestrial ecosystems. Which one do you think of, like, you look at and you say, oh, that one has a lot of potential? Um, So I think right now, some of the most interesting mushrooms are what are called white rot fungi. So those are mushrooms that have evolved to digest wood. And there's several levels of mushrooms that digest wood. There's white rot, brown rot, and then, like, composters. So this is, like, first, secondary, and tertiary saprobes. Um, white rot fungi are things that can break down lignin, which is a really complex polymer in wood that crosslinks uh, cellulose and gives it wood its structure. 
its its density. And white rod fungi have these very advanced enzymes to break down lignin because it's a super complex molecule. And so we've been harnessing the power of white rot fungi. And this is stuff like uh, oyster mushrooms, Ganoderma, reishi mushrooms, uh, lion's mane, these kinds of things to mine enzymes to do uh, making biofuels, to do other like industrial processes. Uh, we've also been looking at them to do like bioremediation of like carbon compounds. So like certain people out there have shown that in a lab, you can get like an oyster mushroom to eat like cigarette butts or potentially eat hydrocarbons and oil pollution. It's really difficult to actually translate that kind of practice into a uh, wild situation because they've tried to like take oyster mushrooms and put them on an oil spill. They don't do what you want them to do because oyster mushrooms do what they want to do, not what you want them to do. Um, but I do think there's tremendous potential, as you said, to uh, capture the power and chemistry of some of these white rot fungi and use them as allies in uh, fighting climate change and trying to sort of make sense of the mess we've made of the world. Where do you think this goes? Like, what do you think the future holds? Uh, I think the future is hopefully bright for our partnership with fungi. I think there's a lot of challenges we have to uh, face with what's happened with our climate. And I think like the human influence on this planet is being felt more and more. And it's like the people who are still saying that the climate change hasn't occurred are they're going to become in the minority because as the world fundamentally changes, as our food system changes, the weather changes, we're going to have to adapt or we're going to die as a species. And I think fungi, because they were some of the original um, terraformers of this planet, are going to be one of the main pillars of how we actually try to recapitulate ecosystems. We have to go to Superfund sites and reforest them. We have to sink massive amounts of carbon to stop our planet from becoming too hot to be habitable, basically. And fungi are a huge part of how we're going to be able to buffer the environment. Um, we're going to be able to like use them to help reseed plants. We're going to be producing sustainable foods. You know, there's there's too much animal agriculture going on right now. I'm I'm an omnivore. I don't think that we should all go vegan, but I do think it would help if everybody in the country could cut their meat consumption in half and supplement that with mushrooms. I think the other big thing we'd get out of that wouldn't be just like a positive boon for the climate. We'd see a huge improvement in health too, because fungi have a massive amount of dietary fiber in them. And that's the thing, people don't realize how little fiber they're getting in their diet. And like, when I say fiber, I don't mean go out and eat a box of Wheaties and like have a very uncomfortable BM. Like I'm talking about like fiber that we need to live and feel full, feel satiated, to stock good uh, bacteria in our guts. And I think fungi are absolutely essential um, source of nutrients that have been largely ignored because people kind of just look at them like the cheap agaricus bisporus, the little button mushrooms you buy in the store, are not appealing to enough people to have them want to eat them at every meal. And so like what I'd love to see is a much larger selection of edible fungi become more available, become, you know, easier to access in terms of price and availability and, uh, and really see people eat more mushrooms because I think health would improve. And I think we could really uh, help our environment by shifting some of our protein needs to, to fungal based stuff. Now, if you want to hear any more from those interviews, we have included links to the full episodes in the episode description. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. 
Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay, now let's bring in John Shaw and get to the pointless part of the show. How would you rate your gift-giving abilities? I'm, I'm a good seven or eight, but if you ask the people who have gotten gifts for me, it's probably more realistically like a four. What's your, what do you think your gift giving problem is? Like, do you not get the right gift? Do you not put much thought into it? You get the cheap version of the thing that they really wanted. My, my problem is it's, it's a simple one actually, is I, I don't listen. So I'll, I'll ask the person, uh, for for something or that they want or a list and then i'll go you know i'm gonna get them something that i think they would want why would you do that though like why are you why would you be that person that you know what i know you asked for a nintendo but i really think what you would like is just a nice sweater it's i I guess the i you know you go through that age that that time of life where for a decade i didn't ever get gifts my 20s, I don't think I got any gifts for anybody. Your 20s is probably easiest, easily the worst Christmas period for you. Like, you don't really <laughs> care. Nobody's really getting you anything. Yeah, Christmas in your 20s is not is not very exciting. It's all about really the parties, right? I mean, the family parties where you get to be the drunk person or going out to the bar scene in what time what time of your life though do you feel like you enjoyed christmas the most like what is the age range that likes christmas the most i mean it's it's probably nine to no probably like seven to twelve i was gonna say six to ten okay because you get toys you probably still believe in santa claus or at least unsure about it it's probably pretty cool then i would actually say when you're an adult and if you have children who are between that age range. And it, it is pretty awesome. See, I'm just entering that that time frame-ish uh, where both of my children think Santa Claus is going to arrive magically. If you think about Santa, if you think about anything logically, most of the time it's going to be bullshit. Here's my only argument for kind of continuing on the Santa Claus thing is that I do think that, like, as a kid, you can have some magic and wonder about the world. I think we lose that, and then we lose a little bit of ourselves as we get older. And I think as time has progressed and the internet has become what it is, I mean, I mean my two-year-old can operate a, a cell phone. My four-year-old can Google search things. What's going to happen when my oldest is seven, and she's already been told by her classmates that Santa's not real? Like... Now it's over. Now you're just me for the next 70 years of your life. And that's, yeah, that's not good. Right. I think that you, when you find out that Santa Claus isn't real, I think you lose a little bit. Oh, crap. There's my kid. Daddy, can you take my sticker off? Yes, I'll take the sticker off your apple. Did you hear what I said? Yeah. Okay, no. I I will say that I, I do wish there was a Santa for the older generation, like us. Like it'd be nice if Santa maybe was a, a woman, you know, or like, you know, maybe I would have the magic more if you know if I didn't think that there was a, 
obese man trying to commit a home invasion December 25th. You mean like, so basically you wish there was like a sexy Santa is what you're saying for older people. <laughs> that just comes yeah. by and rocks one out with you? Is that what you essentially want? No, I mean, it doesn't have, I'm just as you progress, right? Like the magic comes and goes when you're a kid. And then you have that weird in-between period of your 20s. And then after that, it's like, maybe it could just be a sexy Santa. I mean, it can. It can just be a person, though, not a magical being from Santa Claus. Was there ever a gift, though, that you really, really wanted and never got? There was one thing that I, I kind of threw a fit about for a long, long time. Uh, and that was, this is embarrassing to say, uh, but a, 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 a pocket pocket animal? Tamagotchi? What are those called? I think it's called a Tamagotchi. Yeah. How old yeah. were you? I don't know. It's probably eight, nine, or ten. I don't really remember the age, but I always wanted one of those because kids in my school had one, and it seemed cool to, you know, raise a a bird from hatching to, you know, whatever. So uh, let's give some shout-outs here, shall we? Uh, Let's see. We'll start off uh, with Wesley Joseph. Wesley. Andrew Andrew Wood. uh, Man, I'm doing it. Oh, yeah, you do it all the time. You just, God yeah. Well, I appreciate you not calling me out on it or just muting me every time I do it. Uh, no, I just, my eye just twitches. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you're, you're, uh, a great, uh, you're a great co-host then for putting up with my. Uh, all right, Gabrielle DiPietro, Sasha Wemmy, Taylor Waters, Hunter Roosh, Ahmed Ibrahim, uh, Connor Nishimoto, Michael Fries, and Dirty Dan. Dirty Dan. I, I don't know why that's not your name, but I like it for some reason. Doesn't really uh, inspire a lot of confidence in people, though. Like, right? Like, if you're on social media trying to pick up dates and your thing is Dirty Dan, I don't know if that's going to work out. All right, keeping along the uh, the holiday season here. Uh, would you rather uh, be Santa Claus, an elf, or Frosty the Snowman? Does does, it, does Frosty die? I don't remember. Yeah, but he comes back. I mean, it, he does die. Well, then Frosty the Snowman. He seems like he has the least amount of work to do. <laughs> like, Santa would have to be just, oh, that's a lot of responsibility and a lot of shit you got to do. Keeping track of all of that. An elf, you're basically just a day laborer. You don't want to be doing that. I mean, Frosty just has to hang out. <laughs> yeah, you, I mean, you you die and come back. But that's better than working all the time. I think I'd rather be Santa than any of them. It seems like a lot of work. Yeah, but you're Santa Claus. You have a sexy Santa. You don't Santa. get anything. You don't get anything out of it. You live at the North Pole. You work like a madman all year everybody's not really grateful to you and half the people don't believe in you. I think, I think Frosty would be my last answer. Uh, Cause you're seasonal, at least with being Santa and an elf, you're can be around all year long. Frosty. It's like, you know, cause you're not going to get transported to the North pole. They don't want you in the North pole. Frosty, you know, they, they just don't. Yeah. I mean, you could just move Frosty. That's the whole difficulty. Like he doesn't, but he doesn't have to melt. Somebody could just move him. <laughs> like just take him to the North Pole with you. 
Uh, this is more of a question than a. Uh, and you're a snowman. An you wouldn't be cold. Like you don't care about that. It's not like he wants to go to the Bahamas. Maybe they did. They ever make a frosty goes to the Bahamas? I don't think they did. I had oh some logistical God. concerns about it. I believe. Yeah, that would be, be a headache. Uh, all right. How do you feel about holiday movies being portrayed uh, in a negative light? Uh, say like. Um, like Bad Santa or like a horror movie that depicts Santa as a serial killer. Uh, you know, does that bother you? Do you care? Do you think it takes away from the magic of Christmas? I don't. I mean, they're better than some of the Hallmark movies. Oh, my God. Right? At least it's different. I think that if different people enjoy that, right? Like instead of watching some sap, sappy show about the New York PR executive who goes back home to Tennessee to meet the love of her life that she left in high school for the 50th time. Would you rather watch a horror story about Santa Claus or a movie that's potentially funny? My problem with those kind of movies is I don't really see the premise is flawed, right? Like I can't think of a funny Santa Claus based movie or a scary Santa Claus based movie. So they just seem like a waste of time. But if they could get it right, I would be okay with it. Yeah, there's not a good horror movie one. There just isn't. There are some good, funny Santa movies. It's not <laughs> a lot. Of, really, if you get down to it, there's for all of the Christmas-themed movies that have been made, there's mm. not really very many good ones. Essentially, Home Alone, It's a Wonderful Life, the one with Clark Griswold, Die Hard if you're going to count that, and that's really pretty much it. Remember when you fought me for an entire episode about how Die Hard wasn't a Christmas movie? Well, when did it come out? When was it originally released? Was it released around Christmas? I mean, what's that have to do with it, though? Because that will dictate whether or not it's ultimately a Christmas movie. What was the intended part of Die Hard? If it was released in December, then I think that pretty much says that, yeah, they intended that to be a Christmas movie. Not just a movie that they based around Christmas. If it came out in the summertime, it's not a Christmas movie. Actually, it looks like uh, most of all of the diehards were released in May, June, or July. So there it is. That's the end of the argument. It was never intended to be a Christmas-related movie. But but that's that's based on the premise. That was the jumping-off point. It doesn't seem like a very solid argument. It sounds like the only argument. It sounds like the end of the argument, to be honest with you. Like, if it was supposed to be a Christmas movie, it would have been released around Christmas. When was Home Alone released? I mean, now let me look it up. Home Alone wasn't released in June. Clark Griswold, that movie, they were released around Christmas. As far as I'm concerned. Home Alone was released in November. Yeah, that's a Christmas movie then. As far as I'm concerned, that ends the argument. I'll live to fight another day, but I I still think it's a Christmas movie. Well, some people think the earth is flat. <laughs> You're going right. to couple me with the flat earthers? That's low. They got members all around the globe. All right, two things here. Two things I want to I wanna ask your uh, astute right, opinion let's upon. Hear let's hear it. Both sports related, so I apologize for our non-sports listeners out there. Uh, both American football related, too. Uh, the first is... Um, Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Steelers were playing uh, the Atlanta Falcons a couple Sundays ago. Uh, Pittsburgh was winning, 
their cornerback got an interception, could have scored for a touchdown. Instead of scoring, he basically fell down. Pittsburgh ran out the clock, and they won the game. He could have scored. Pittsburgh would have then kicked the ball back to Atlanta. Who knows what would have happened? They probably still would have won, but still. So, Mike Tomlin, head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, been the head coach now for probably a decade and a half. It's on his morning radio talk show uh, this past week or so. And they ask him a question, probably the most stupidest question I've heard from a sports reporter, if you, if they call themselves that in a long time, if ever. And here it is. Uh, so we're getting a lot of fewer uh, feedback uh, about people who are upset about their fantasy football teams because Minka Fitzpatrick didn't score that touchdown. And it was the last, you know, it was the last regular season game before playoffs started. Do you think that, you know, decisions like that should impact how a player plays the game? Is that where we are as a society that we're allowing fantasy sports to try to infiltrate real sports decisions? Yeah, I think so. I think that's actually kind of, I think it's kind of a legitimate decision, a legitimate thing. Because one of the reasons that football is so big is because of fantasy football and because of legalized sports gambling. You take those things away, people don't give a shit anymore. But it's it's wrong. It's still a game at heart. It's still A versus B. In football, it's 11 on 11. It's like I have nothing to do with it. Like, I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick did the right thing a thousand times over, in my opinion. And Falling down? I thought he it, fell no, not, down or something. Not scoring oh, he didn't the touchdown. Score a touchdown. Yeah. Instead, he fell down so Pittsburgh would have control of the ball, and then they ran the clock out and won the game securely instead of maybe giving the ball back, and who knows what happens. But yeah. for, for, for that to be even brought up to me is absolutely asinine. And if I was Mike Tomlin and I was asked that question, I mean, I'd probably answer it po- politically correct like he did, but I would want to take whoever asked me that question's head and bang it off the table. That is, it's a stupid, it's a stupid thought. It's a stupid question. I think that people should always be aware of what time it is. And I mean that in the sense that like, look, what are you doing? Do you think, look, some people care if you win the game or if you don't win the game, some people care about that. But what, really is fueling this whole thing is money, right? Like this is a game, it's a competition, but I would say that if I was the owner of a football team and I had the choice between setting record setting profits and winning a Super Bowl, that's a pretty easy decision. So your whole league is fueled by people's oh, interest on, in it. Hold on. You can't whole say league, that. You can't your, say it's what's the easy decision? It better be winning the Super Bowl. No, it's not. It's making money. It's a business. This isn't some noble concern that people are doing, right? Like we're not saving children in impoverished countries. It's a business. And I would treat it as such. And that business is essentially fueled by fantasy football and by legalized sports gambling. That's what pay that's why you're getting paid what you are. So you should acknowledge the fact that that's why people are watching you. No, that that's 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 insane. I think you're just trying to gaslight me at this point. Second thing I wanted to ask you about was how old do you think this person is? I saw that picture of that. There's no way that kid. First, that's a grown man. So there for is those of you defin- wondering what I just showed Nick, uh, it's Jeremiah Johnson. Uh, if you have a second, Google him. Uh, he Apparently, he's a 12-year-old running back from Texas 
who is just just dominating in American football, uh, winning MVPs, youth national championships. But I got to tell you, and all due respect to Jeremiah Johnson and his family, uh, he has a mustache that would take me a month to grow, which is not saying much, but still. He has a sleeve of tattoos. His muscle definition doesn't look like a 12-year-old's, and the motherfucker looks 30. So for him to be 12, I have no idea what's happening. I feel so bad for that kid because a good friend of mine had this happen to him where he was a dominant athlete around that age. And then everybody caught up and every, like he was an absolutely dominant athlete that people thought was going to be the greatest thing to come out of Kansas. And then, Oh no, he just kind of peaked early and then everybody <laughs> caught up and he was like on the bench by his senior year. It has to be tough. It was funny to me more so than this kid's picture being put out there. And by the way, he's five foot 11, 200 pounds and he's a muscular 12 year old. Yeah. And he's a muscular 200 pounds. It looks like. Is he really Um, 12 though? Did they, or is it like, I remember that there was some controversies with some of, I think it was like the little league world series or something. His mom came out, right? So this photo was, was posted all over social media. His mom came out and said, um, uh, before and she this is quotes directly from her before I lay down I just want you all to know that my baby is going viral these folks is going all in so yes he's on the 12 and under team and he meets all of the requirements no the tattoo isn't real duh she says but the goatee is I mean some people develop quick some people don't okay do you have anything else you That's it, sports man. fucking sports. Segments? I know, I know. There was two good things this week, though. I couldn't pass them up. Mm. We want to talk about the new Avatar. I have no. I just. I have never seen a James Cameron movie, and I refuse to watch it. No. Well, Once everybody gets like, "Oh, you got to see it," then I can't watch it. It's it's done for me. I mean, it, it's three. It's three hours and ten minutes. It's ridiculous. I, you know, I, I, I'll give him this. He's created some of, of my favorite movies of all time, James Cameron. But I'm not sure that this counts for me. Man, that guy can probably do exactly like whatever he says. Somebody should just say yes to it. Like, hey, I want to do this. Like, okay, James, you go ahead and do it. What is it? Aliens? Yeah, the aliens. Yep. Terminator. Oh, the, well, the Abyss. I'm surprised you know of that movie. I remember it barely. But Terminator is one. Yep. Avatar, um, Titanic. I mean, you can he, make I a think... strong argument that he is the best American filmmaker. Mm, I mean, he's up there. I mean, it's tough, right? I, all, all the nerds are going to go towards uh, George Lucas. Well, I mean, George Lucas is pretty good. This is going to bring me back around to your fantasy football argument right you can make a great film like let's make this really artsy let's make this great did you make any money (laughs) like was it successful would you rather toil in obscurity and just create something that is artistically fantastic that absolutely no one sees for the love of the thing that you are doing or do you want to make fucking titanic i mean I love Titanic, so I know what I would say. Right. People love fantasy football. So next time Minka Fitzpatrick or whatever his name is, score the damn <laughs> touchdown. You got you to gotta keep the people happy, man. You got to keep the people happy. 
and more people are concerned about their fantasy football team than if you won that game. They are, and that's that's the problem with and, and people enjoying the, the things that they do. That's the problem with American football, and why I think in ten years it will be either the second or third most popular sport in America. I think the NBA will surpass it uh, in ten years, and then I think I'm going out on a oh boy, on a here limb here. here. What bandwagon sport do you got to throw in there? I think that if Lionel Messi does come to Miami FC, you're going to see a soccer boom in this country, along with the World Cup coming here in four years. I, I, I call me crazy, but I, I think I think soccer is going to be it's going to be a top three sport. I think it already is partic- participation wise, but I think popularity wise, it will be. Yeah, people have been saying that for like 40 years, that soccer is the next big thing, is the next big thing. And football keeps just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And why does football keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger? Because of fantasy football and gambling. So I'll just go ahead and take the win and let's move on to our top five. Are you ready for our top five? (laughs) I'm going to need a second to recover from that. But yeah, let's do it. (laughs) All right, so our... Our, our top five is top five holiday traditions. All holidays. We're looking at all holidays. So top five holiday traditions. What's your number five? Uh, so my number five, pretty simple. Just uh, carving pumpkins, maybe making pumpkin seeds, things like that. Anything carving pumpkin related. I'm pretty anti-carving pumpkins, to be honest with you. I think it's a waste of time. It's just <laughs> I'm not good at it. It's it's like dying Easter eggs. So so it's that's like, oh, a, that's that a thing because you're not good at it. I am fantastic. Oh boy. Do you use a stencil? Do you have your own kit? I I I well I mean I have my own knife and I draw on it with a sharpie and then I cut out the sharpie. That's What's your good. number five? Calling in sick to party on St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> oh, see, and St. Patrick's Day to me is probably the most overrated holiday. There oh, is. I love a good St. Patrick's Day. Uh, all right, my number four is uh, passing out before the ball drops on New Year's Eve. Mm, that's a good one. It's not on my list, but I would say my favorite thing about New Year's Eve is watching all the people that like never go out. Just stumbling drunk. Like, as soon as the clock hits midnight, those places just clear out. I I just watch it on TV, and I see all those, I don't know what we want to call them, those people uh, in Times Square when it's two degrees out and you're packed in like sardines, and nope, I'm good. That looks like a truly terrible experience. That always looks like the worst thing on earth. I would. I was wondering, can you have alcohol? You can't have alcohol, right? They don't, don't give you alcohol. You can. Yeah, which... what are you peeing? Like, think of all those people just pissing in cups. My number four is a little bit complicated. My number four is the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. Used to be oh, a fun okay. party day. Now it's a day where, like, you can look back and just basically see all the people that you used to go to school with and be like, man. they suck like what happened to them my number three uh just opening you know uh christmas morning gifts coffee just 
just Christmas morning is my number three. Do you have opening the presents at a different place on your list? Or no. are you going to put that all the way at the... You're going to have Christmas morning at number three? Yeah, in terms of my favorite traditions, yes. Oh. Wow. <laughs> wow. My number three is trick-or-treating. That's what level I think number three deserves, and I would never compare trick-or-treating to Christmas morning. Okay. I mean, once again, it's it's all about maybe you had magical Christmas mornings. How do I know? Mine were fine. They weren't great. This is probably an unpopular number two. Uh, but I, I have Black Friday on the list because for me, uh, it represents a few things. It's it's Christmas tree day. Uh, mm, you know, okay, it's also, okay. That makes we, some you know, sense. We go out. We get a group of friends together. Uh, go out to you know usually a cider mill, have some drinks, cut down Christmas trees. Now we take our kids with us. Um, yeah, and there's always football on. It's just just a, it's just a good day. It's just a good tradition. Um, you know, and and if you're feeling crazy, you can always go out to a store and see people being nuts. Though that doesn't happen much anymore. Thanks, pandemic. But I know. I love. I'm actually going to replace that as my number four. My number four might really be like watching Black Friday shopping videos. <laughs> Just the craziness. Because not only do you get to see people at their best slash worst, you also get to appreciate the fact that you're not there. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm glad I'm not there. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm going to go with a different one on number two. And I would initially and early in my life say that this was a totally meaningless holiday to me. But my number two currently is Easter is Easter morning, hiding Easter eggs. When you have, I have two boys, a three-year-old and a six-year-old. When you have that, it's pretty damn fun. Like dad's in charge of hiding the Easter eggs. They get to go find the Easter eggs. Do you it's put pretty them fun in, as a dad. Do you try to get them like where they can't find an egg? Do you try to hide them on tough places? I make a couple of them a little bit hard, but ultimately then I don't want to forget where they are and then have to go find them. Because if I make them too difficult, then I got to hear, I got to deal with that. So you got to make them like a little bit, but most of the time you just put them like in the middle of the fucking grass <laughs> and try to keep them from fighting each other. It's just not possible. Uh, so my, my number one, is, it's kind of all encompassing, but it's basically my favorite holiday tradition is, uh, is the food. It, you know, obviously it's more like Thanksgiving, Christmas, but, and, and it has to be me making it. So, you know, making food during the holidays is probably my favorite tradition. <laughs> do you have a, do you have an apron? I do have an apron. Yes. Multiple. What's it say? What's it, what do they say? Tell me what's your apron say. I mean, probably, probably my favorite one is, is there's a picture of a pig on the front, like a pig face. Yeah. It, yeah, says, yeah. it, it says what's shaking. And then the back is its butt, and it says bacon. Don't you get it? What's shaking? Bacon. Does it have a tail? Yeah, but it's well, no, it's a not a tail that comes out. It's like a you know. Wait a minute. How does it? Tail. How does it? But the so it's like a full apron in the back because the aprons that I have seen, you just tie. Where does it say it on the back? This doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it's like it's like a it's like 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 a like a like a butcher's coat kind of thing. For when I'm chopping up meat and stuff. You have a butcher's coat? I mean, I wouldn't call it. It's not like the 
you're you're blowing this out of proportion. I'm just trying to clarify exactly what we're talking about. That's all. I mean, I, I guess it's called the butcher's coat, yes, but it's not the same material. This is much lighter, and it's more synthetic. It's easier to wash. So it's a. <laughs> Isn't it terrible when you say something out loud and then you suddenly have a realization like, "Oh fuck!" Let's not <laughs> buy the damn thing. All right. It's your favorite, though. What else do you got? So you got an apron, really a butcher's coat. I'm not. A lot I have of people who put a lot of people who put ketchup on barbecue have butcher's coats. Listen, don't knock it till you try it. I think you, like, I think you need to give that back. I think it need. I think it's. I think your apron should be revoked. <laughs> All right, Gordon Ramsay. What else, What other ones do you have? Mm. I mean, I have. I have like seasonal ones. I have a like one with a with a Santa front. You know. Like it's Santa's body. Uh, I have a couple of sports themed ones. That's probably about it. I don't have too many others. I have a leprechaun one, but now, do you buy these yourselves, yourself, or are they given as gifts? I mean, my wife buys them. I don't buy anything. I don't even buy my own socks. Okay, but do you ask for them? No, but I don't turn them down when they're presented to me either. Hmm. Okay. Has there been anything in your mind where you're like, you know, maybe I got enough of these? Yeah. Uh, what's your number one? I think we, I already know what it is. So, oh, opening presents, a Christmas morning. Although honestly, Christmas Eve is making a strong run at Christmas morning lately. Mm. I would say Christmas morning is my number one, but Christmas Eve is making a strong run for the number one spot. I think Christmas Eve is underrated. Um, yeah, I, I would, I'd probably put that as like my number six Christmas Eve, and it, it's it's rising up the power rankings. I would put Christmas Eve as the number one Eve above New Year's Eve. Oh yeah, by far. I could put Thanksgiving Eve above New Year's Eve at this point. What's in your honorable mention? Uh, I mean, not, not a whole lot more. I mean, I have uh, um, going marshmallow hunting on Easter, which is the same thing as eggs, really, except you use marshmallows instead of eggs. Um, Makes sense. Okay. okay. Yeah. I, so I, I don't do like vinegar. I don't, I, I just, it doesn't do well with me. So food, like coloring eggs is not good. Um, I just, so yeah. So hiding eggs and then, you know, you get those little plastic ones. Hiding yeah. those is okay, but I just prefer marshmallows. Is marshmallows is where it's at. Um, I, I have like any drinking, like during the holidays, but like you know, I guess you could say St. Patrick's Day. But yeah, I, think I drink more around Thanksgiving than I do any other holiday. Yeah, any drinking holiday is pretty good. Is that your whole honorable mention? You have any other ones? No, it's on yours. The only one I have, the only one that I didn't talk about was basically blowing stuff up on oh. fireworks, blowing blowing stuff, uh, blowing things up on Independence Day on July Fourth. Yeah. No, but I don't. I don't do fireworks at all. I don't even mess with them. Don't even because you know what? I would be the guy that would light it and then not be able to get away fast enough, and I would blow yeah. my butt cheeks off. Could lose an apron. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for all of your support this year. I hope that you have a happy holidays with the ones that you love. We've got we've got some big stuff coming up next year. Well, really starting next week. 
we're going to be talking to an economic futurist about is 2023 going to be good or bad? It's actually kind of a surprising answer. Take care. Happy holidays. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.